Hey, welcome everyone to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Murray. Returning with us once again is Justin Dower from the Windy City. Justin, how are you doing? I'm well, Donovan. Thanks for having me back. What's 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 new? Uh, what's new with you? you? You've moved jobs, or you've started a new a new thing? Yes, I have. I started um, a new small design consultancy, Anomaly by Design. We could chat a little bit about today or where that where that came from, but uh, it's a it's a nascent endeavor uh, since last November, December, I believe. So you know, when the buck stops with you, it's both both an exciting and kind of a terrifying time. <laughs> Right. What was what was the big impetus to make the to make the leap? Largely around, you know, putting my money where my mouth is on uh, fulfillment. I have a new book out in fulfillment: the designer's journey, and it's all about finding our best fit, about where we can do our best work, identifying and prioritizing our values, and operating in an environment that is kind of the the. Uh, the example of how we can best leverage those values. So I, I had a, a point where I could. I could have taken on another role um, in senior leadership with design and building and growing out a team within larger tech. And it was a fantastic offer. And I ended up turning it down and which felt like an affront to the design gods. But um, like I said, putting my money where my mouth is on my, my fulfillment in my career and where I know I can do my best work. So I started my own thing instead. And um, yeah, it's just underway. Did you actually, did they actually give you the offer or did you, uh, did you even listen? I had the offer. Yeah. The oh, offer was, the offer was on the table. Yeah. It was, okay. it was, yeah. Exhilarating. Just like starting your own gig, exhilarating and terrifying. And I kind of bounced off my wife and I said, you know, I'm, this is what I think I need to do. And she fully supported me. So here we are. I mean, it's been a long time ago. I remember, I remember someone was going to make me an offer that, well, they, they offered me a job. And I, and I came home and, and my wife's like, how much did they offer you? And I said, I never asked. She said, what do you mean? I said, I was afraid the number would be good and I'd have to take it. Yes. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want the job. So I never asked what the number was. So that's why I asked if it was actually there. Cause I know that makes decisions are like, oh, you know. Unfortunately, I, I knew the number. <laughs> oh, I was always glad I never did. Cause it, cause it made my decision easy. So yeah. Yeah. That was probably the better move. But, but I mean, sometimes they just tell you. So that's why I just wondered. So, yes. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, on the new gig. Where do people go? Where do people go to find the, to find the new company? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, Anomaly with an I, A-N-O-M-A-L-I, by design.com. Anomaly by design.com. All right. And what's, and what's, uh, what's, what's the specialty? It's across a few different pillars. You know, it's, uh, I hope fairly well articulated on the sites across crafts. So pairing with um, organizations on actually doing the work, you know, leading, leading teams on, on creating uh, product and design work, design leadership is the second pillar. So helping organizations grow design teams, infuse design within the organization uh, design. I don't mean the, the practice here, but design thinking, like thinking in, in a design capacity uh, within the DNA of the organization. And then lastly, culture and engagement, which I think is particularly huge now with businesses, you know, being hybrid or full-time remote and making sure folks are connected to one another, connected to their work um, and making sure that's a trackable effort as well. So the three things I very distinctly knew resonated with me most of my career. When I kind of look back, I took that, um, you know, reflective look back and, and the, uh, the points where I feel like I could, you know, provide the most value in kind. 
Yeah, and people and people who listen to the show may realize you you were you were on a couple times in the last few years, and we talked about you, you had two versions of your book, your creative, you know, creating a culture, right? And um, and I know we talked about that changing via COVID, but even though you have remote teams, you still want that, you still want that culture, as, as we talked about with your company, because it it, it transcends just the uh, office cubicle environment. Well said. Yeah, well said. And then the air quotes, funny thing about the second edition of Creative Culture was that that released like right when that pandemic hit, when it first started. And it's a book about, <laughs> there's a lot of points in there about working in the office and collaborating in the office. But the kind of the the miraculous thing about that is because, you know, the the context was some points about working in the office, but because the values and the practices behind it can be leveraged agnostic of environment. They can be leveraged in person or they can be leveraged remotely. The book still did fairly well. I, I was expecting it to bottom out uh, given you know what was happening or is still happening in the world. But um, knock on wood, it was proof in the pudding for me uh, for the second book as well to, to kind of push things forward. You also had a time where people are at home probably having nothing else to do but read. So maybe, maybe it helped <laughs> down. <fair>. And... <laughs> maybe That's they were fair. just closing their eyes between chapters and envisioning being in the office again. <laughs> I like that mental image too. That's great. All right. Well, Justin, you've got your new book down. It's called In Fulfillment, The Designer's Journey. Where do yes. you recommend people going to find this? Like, like, uh, what's the best place to, to, buy, yeah, the, to purchase uh, a copy, peruse it, see if you're interested? Sure. The, um, the website for the book itself is in-fulfillment.com. And then, you know, via there, you can pick it up via, you know, Amazon or Books A Million or Indie Books, uh, whatever you, you so choose. So it's, you know, available at just about every online retailer at this point. This leads me to the question. So your first book is about creating culture. Your second book, which which is good, I read, I read, I've read them both, is about finding fulfillment with your job. But did one lead to the other? I would think you'd want to be fulfilled and then you'd want the culture or which, which is more important did you find? How, what led you from thinking about, Hey, we got this great culture in this environment, but maybe I'm not fulfilled. Well, there's a small part in um, the second edition of the first book, uh, creative culture that is, it's called the transition of fulfillment. And it's a little nugget about a manager that I was managing uh, on my team and, and they were transitioning from, hands-on fulfillment into leadership-based fulfillment. And they were having that um, disconnection of, to use the word fulfillment again, because they were they were largely rewarded by their hands in motion or their sense of self was coming from the output of what they were producing. And they, they were feeling hollow a bit. So I had a conversation with them that effectively every person you hire or add to your team within our larger organization, like your hands-on utilization is going to go down uh, further and further. And that was more to set their expectations. The percentage was far, fairly arbitrary. And even to say like, you know, player coach is really hard to operate with. And I've done that in my career before where you're producing and helping folks uh, succeed. And that's not, you're not really set up for success by and large in that role. It was a bit of that, uh, you know, I, I started to think more about that nugget and get more granular in a sense. Like the first book, I, I would say, is more macro, the environment you exist within and connecting with design and connecting with uh, one another. And uh, because it was more macro, you know, when I was doing the um, air quotes interview circuit for that book, I was on, you know, sales podcasts and product management podcasts because the themes, I think, were a bit more applicable, agnostic of media or medium. 
And this book is a book for designers. Obviously it's, it's in the title um, and it's a little more micro at that level. Still finding your best fit, um, how to best connect to your design and yourself. But really, you know, at the crux of it, being fulfilled is not a taboo word or mindset, let's say, because you're still going from me to we when you consider the bigger picture outside of just being fulfilled personally. So putting a, a, together a great portfolio, huge, obviously. Uh, evolving in your craft, also huge. But being con considerate and mindful of those who are engaging with what you are creating by identifying the values where you thrive, by being able to prioritize those so you can understand, you know, if you join an organization that has three of your uh, top five values in play, can you function or produce good work without the other two um, in the mix? So still themes that are driven from a quarter of a, a century worth of career and design, but I, I would say more at the micro slash practical slash storytelling level. What do you, what do you consider? What, I mean, what does it take for you to be fulfilled at a, at a job? Did you have to think about that? Obviously wrote, you wrote a book about it. So was that part of the thing is you're like, oh, I actually like to think about what this means to me. Yeah, that was in the DNA of the uh, outline, of course, when I was sketching out this second book and and as we led with in the DNA of putting together my own business. And being fulfilled for me, and I, I suspect a lot of people is, you know, what I just mentioned a few minutes ago, being able to understand what my values are in my personal and professional, what I like to say, spheres of existence. And prioritizing those so I can make sure whatever is most important to me, like that itch is absolutely scratched in whatever uh, role I've taken on. And then building the environment to surround myself to make sure I'm doing my best work, which I think themes called from the first book, creative culture are largely in play there. And once you kind of tick all those boxes and you have that harmonious level of if it's, you know, hands in motion craft or helping others succeed and operating in the environment that best suits you to doing your best work and, you know, knowing what your values are and that they're consistent between personal and professional, um, man, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a pretty, um, not to sound a unicorn and rainbows, it's a pretty utopic environment to exist within. And how do you continue that? Like, how do you make sure that doesn't change? Because, because I mean, I know with everything, if you just keep doing the same thing over and over, it's like perfect for a while, but it's what you do this year. If you did the same thing next year, you'd be like, that's not going to, you know, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think there are um, internal checks and balances that we can have in play to make sure the practices in which we're most fulfilled are being fulfilled. So whenever you kind of feel that disconnection to your work or yourself waning, or you feel like you're ticking the boxes or, you know, I'm not saying that design isn't a profession and it's not, you know, we're not putting food on the table. Certainly that's a huge part of it. But when you feel like, you know, you're sleepwalking and your craft or your leadership profession is just ticking the boxes and you're going through the motions and it's more about comfort than if, you know, like what being challenged is one of my values or something I need. In, in, a, in a position, like if you feel like you're not being challenged um, and you're just kind of signing in, signing out, I think those are the kind of points we can take a, a reflective look in the, in the proverbial mirror and, and, you know, have a, have a self-check on, am I doing something that is fulfilling to me? And again, that's about our connection to our work, the quality of our work. If we're leading folks in, in, a, in a hierarchical managerial sense, are they being well-supported? Are we like going the extra mile for them? I'm, I'm very much of the mindset of servant leadership. 
And again, even in that for me to we bigger picture sense, the folks engaging with what I'm creating, like is, is the quality up the snuff? And if they're engaging with something at potential points of peril or levels of severity, like, am I able to meet them where they're at, given the <laughs> infinite number of conditions somebody might be engaging with? So all things we need to be mindful of. Yeah, I always looked at, um, you know, I always I always told everyone that worked for me that they should, when they left, I'm like, I hope you learned something, because to me, that's always important. You know, if, if you're not learning at your job, it's hard to continue, I found. And the other one is, are, did you do, I hope you did some work that you're proud of. But but over the years, I realized that that proud, a lot of times um, people just think it's quality work or it's great work. But I think sometimes it's just work, but it's done for good people or it, it's a work done for a good cause. So I, I don't think not everything we do has to be award winning, has to be amazing. But if you think it made a good difference, you I mean, there's a lot of different reasons you'd be proud of. What you what you could do in this profession. Excellent points. Excellent points. And I, I also think about like what at what expense was this, you know, potentially great work done? Like, did you not see your family <laughs> for a week? Or, you know, did you have to sleep at in the office on a cot? Like you have this beautiful portfolio piece, but like what did you trade off to get there? So that's why I say, you know, being mindful of the environment in which we create is in our heck, our health, <laughs> our well-being is just, you know. All these myriad of considerations we have to be mindful of as well. I always forget that aspect because I guess I uh, years ago I switched and I uh, tried to work a somewhat regular week. I mean, sometimes there'd be, I think maybe a year or so ago, you know, you pick up a project and you're like, okay, this week's going to kind of suck time-wise, amount of time at the office, but it's going to happen. But it would that would be the uh, exception, not the norm. So I forget that for a lot of people that is the norm and uh, I, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. And, you know, I've talked to folks where, you know, like a, a person I had a dialogue with works in film and has, or has worked in film for years. And they said like crunch time is just like a known quantity. Like when you're wrapping up production, you know, crazy hours during that week is a known quantity, but you know, the, the culture around or the organization they worked with would make sure things are, you know, catered and you're taken care of and you're given time off after the fact. So if expectations are set around a potentially unhealthy uh, week and you know what you're getting into and you're, you know, as, as taken care of as can be during it, you know, there, there are levels of gray to consider there too. Yeah, I did after that, after that project is over, I did take like a week off. I like, didn't, there you do, go. didn't do anything or I mean, I'd show up, do like an hour of email, like I'm done for the day. Just leave. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Good, good, good on you. All right. We're going to be right back with uh, Justin Dower. I think people forget that I, I actually moved to teaching full-time here this last year, mm -hmm. but before that I ran my own company for yeah. over 20 years. Yeah. Every time it was like, it's like there's an ebb and flow and there's something where I think the longer you do it and you've been in this business long enough, you kind of realize it. But I know when you get in the business, it's usually, you know, you get hired because a company is all, Oh, we need somebody right now. So it's like you, just crazy work. And then all of a sudden it slows down and you forget that. And you think that, oh, this is it. Right. There's no work and there'll never be work again. Right. Because what is it? There's usually a recession every seven years. But even between those, there's there's ups and downs. So how how are you how do you deal with that? Like, or what do you tell people? 
Well, I think, you know, uh, something that we get with the experience of uh, a longer career is exactly what you said. You got to have that that longer, you got to play the bigger game, uh, the longer term game, both in your mind and, and in your practice that, you know, there are ebbs and flows and there are peaks and valleys, but uh, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel too. We just have to, we, we have to write it out right now with how we're talking about design and with how we can, you know, potentially provide value. It's always shocked me too, is how fast or how slow it picks up again. Sometimes yes. you're like, one year I remember January hit and it took until about May before we started back to where we were. I mean, we it's not that we had zero work, but it was slow. Yeah. And and but at the end of the year, I looked at the numbers and they were same as the year before. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. You know, and then other years you hit January hard. And then I mean, I don't know how you how you uh, account for that. I, I never did figure that fully out, but you just kind of got used to it, I guess. Or is, is there a better way? I don't know if there is a better way. I mean, you know, whether you're um, running a very small business, which is what I'm doing, or if you're in freelance, feast or famine is is a large part. You could plan as much as humanly possible or have as much work laid out as possible with, you know, maybe suddenly, a, you know, a new senior person is brought in, a new VP, and uh, they want to clean house and bring in their own people. And then suddenly you're out of work. Or, you know, like you said, sometimes something hits out of nowhere as well, or, you know, a personal contact reaches out, and then there's there's another massive peak. So I think the only way to prepare for it is to prepare for <laughs> the peaks and valleys. And just uh, uh, some months some months are easier than others. And that's that's the trade-off from doing doing our own thing. I think that was the weird one for me the first time where someone new came in and and they always bring in their own people. Oh sure. And sure. sometimes sometimes it's it doesn't affect you at all and sometimes you're like oh I just lost a lot of work. And at first, you know, you I think the first time that happened to me I was didn't fully understand it, but then I think over the years I realized one of my clients got another job and they were the new person and I was the new person they brought in and I was like, "Oh, you you lose work that way, you gain work that way, and and it and over enough years, I guess it kind of evened out. Yeah, I, I, the first time that it happened to me, where someone came in and cleaned house, I, I took it personally. Um, I was a little, new, I think I was freelancing a little newer in my career at that point. Um, like, wasn't like wasn't I doing good work? Like, what happened? And you know, now I, I mean, people come in, they bring the people they're comfortable with, or you know, it's a you scratch uh, my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. And it's not personal. You know, as much even with our design, as much as we tell ourselves it's not personal when you get feedback, I mean, it, to some point, it's always uh, personal because we poured ourselves into X, our work or our practice. So, you know, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. It's just the nature of the industry that that, that happens. And then the ebbs and flows. And then, like you said, the recessions, it's just something we have to roll with. And I think also, like when you freelance or work for your, yourself at a small company, part of the reason they pay you more than as an employee is they also pay you to leave. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think they're, they're, you're, you're getting paid for the pain of operating in a consultant <laughs> capacity. <laughs> no one tells you that when you signed up, but but that is what happens. Yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. So how do you find fulfillment working for companies like that that you know will just leave you in a minute notice? I think because my expectations are crystal clear at this point in my career. Like I, I know what I'm getting into, like, you know, it, it, to go back to, uh, to that earlier story, like I recognize it's a position of privilege to be able to turn down like a very nice offer, um, again, and doing, doing good work. 
Uh, but you know, before I got into doing what I was doing, I made sure my finances were in order. I made sure I had some padding in place to take, take, you know, various levels of hits. Um, even though this one we're in right now is, is, uh, a pretty good right cross, but hopefully we can dodge and weave a little bit more, um, as we move later on in the year. So just knowing what I'm getting into, uh, has helped me a bit. And, you know, if I'm not doing, if I'm not doing work or if I'm not doing project work, I'm, I'm doing BD or I'm doing prospecting. And um, to me, that is still like a day's work, if you will. I, I am somebody where like if I'm twiddling my thumbs or if, you know, I feel like I didn't do much during the day and then I go go to bed at night like that, I could feel it. Like I could feel because I didn't, you know, push myself or leverage uh, what I hope to leverage during a day or just like feel like I've, I've you know, put in, put in a good day's uh, worth of creativity or, or creative problem solving. I'll, I'll feel that like when I go to bed at night. So I, I try to, and I, I just think when you're, it's your own business, it's something you have to do. If I'm not doing actual work, I'm looking for more work that usually encompasses a day. And, and that's how I find fulfillment is making sure like I'm still feeling challenged and I'm still, you know, making good connections and hopefully moving the needle towards uh, some more uh, good work in the future. Going back to your other book, Creative Culture, have you found a shift in that or do you still think that it helps? I mean, obviously it's not about necessarily a giant team that's working with you right there, but but having a culture kind of set or knowing what it should be, how's that helping even just working out of a, a single room? Yeah, you know, the home office dynamic is not a, a super big factor because you know, I said earlier, the environment we exist within, and even though I, I don't directly manage folks anymore, I'm still able to help the folks I engage with accomplish their goals or succeed in what they're trying to succeed. So that that is definitely a part of uh, fulfillment that I am distinctly aware of and is is being taken care of. And, you know, because I'm doing my own thing, I work with the people I want to work with, or I try to take on projects that have meaning to me or in sectors that um, I want, I feel like I have room for innovation or, you know, moving the needle on whatever you want to call people first or human centered design, what have you, like doing right by all living things in projects is very important to me. That's the kind of work I want to be doing. Innovative, you know, agnostic of medium design caliber work at the at the cultural or you know artifact or um infusing design and organization level so that's the good side of things is that i uh the buck stops with me or any other small business owner certainly but i'm able to pursue engagements and environments and folks who will afford the best energy in return and also you know do work that um is important to me okay we'll be right back with justin Hey Justin, I see you got some Batman figures behind you. See, I got, I got, I got, I still got my Superman. They've been. I moved, remember but... your, yeah, I remember your Superman spread. I have a Bane shirt on too. I don't know if you could see it. There's Bane. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So I have uh, three Batman, Batman uh, statues behind me, and you know, if I pan my laptop around, you'd probably see a heck of a lot more around here. But uh, I have that, uh, you know, depth of field effect. That, so kudos to you. Like the, it's fu it's fuzzy behind me. <laughs> There's that bokeh effect. You st <laughs> you'll still suss it out. It's a nice job. Have you seen the Have you seen the flash? Then I did. I did. Yeah. I saw it. On, I saw it on day one. Oh, I saw it like a week later because I, I had my uh, my my brother in law was coming in town, so I waited for him to come in, and then we went and caught the. $5 show on Tuesday, whatever okay. it was. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. 
I, yeah, I want I want just to see Batman. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the Flash and comics um, or cinematically, so I was there for the Batman, <laughs> and uh, I was fulfilled. You bring I think to- most people. I think more people were there for Batman than the Flash. Uh, yeah, I suspect you're right. I mean, the mark even the marketing was like all Batman, <laughs> all Batman. Yeah. Like the Flash was a side character, so they know it sells. Yeah, I mean, Batman could be in it for two minutes, and that would be the main character of the movie. You got it, as yeah. it should be. Yeah, I mean that was just crazy that they brought back because I was like, you know, who would have who would have guessed five years ago if you said, "Hey, Michael Keaton's going to wear the cowl again," and you'd be like, "No, no, that's not going to happen." I was so jazzed when he uh, came on screen again and how his introduction was, and you know, s- seeing the Batmobile and the Batwing and the the Batcave and like hearing that theme, it like takes me right back to being you know twelve, thirteen years old when that first movie came out and seeing it in the mall over and over. I think I saw it like five or six times. I think uh, I only saw it a couple summer. times in the theater, but I, I, I think I saw it opening weekend back then too. And it was crazy. And I didn't even really know back then. I don't, when, when you're that age, sometimes you just don't pay attention to things. I just remember my friends like, Hey, you want to go to the movie with me? I was like, sure. And we showed up and I'm like, Oh, Oh, it was a, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. It changed the tonality of, uh, I think, comic book films from then on. They were, you know, uh, I mean, Superman 2 uh, had its dark moments, but, um, you know, it, it cinematically in the, in the depth of the world that Burton crafted, very Burton-esque world. But, it, you know, th- that was a time like when my mom would take me to the mall when I was a tween and you, you'd just be there like the entire day. So we would go there and we'd walk around and be like, want to see Batman again? Okay. You want to see Batman again? Okay. And oh. that's why I probably... <laughs> saw it so many times and you know i take the bus back home at like four o'clock we went Uh, to the mall yesterday the the one here near us and there's not even there's not the theater there is actually uh, across the street or whatever but like i don't i'm just trying to picture how you even spend a whole day in the in in an indoor mall anymore it is it's half empty stores the food court's got like 75 percent empty it was starting to look pretty sad you know, as you were talking, I started to think I cannot remember the last time I physically have been in a mall. It must be at least twenty years that I've I've been in a mall. I, I'm I'm shocked that they uh, are still surviving in any capacity. I don't know if they really are. Yeah, I guess we were one. There's one. There's one of them in town that that is doing that seems to be doing well. That has to be eighty plus percent full, and they really work at it, but. Uh, that's it. That's that as far as uh, this area of, of the, you know, the region of the country or whatever. Sure. And I, you know, I, I'm in uh, like, you know, effectively downtown, downtown Chicago proper. And there's no real mall. Well, there's one a little close um, uh, to here. There's one that has a Chicago design museum actually around here. That's not too bad. But like the, if I went to the Burbs, you know, out where my mom is or my family or something like that, I think it'd be a little more molly. But uh, again, I have not been in a mall proper in many, many years. All right. Well, sorry. You could, have went, you could have went and saw the flash a couple of times in the same day. That's true. Yeah. Good point. All good right. Point. Well, Justin, the new book in fulfillment in dash fulfillment. Dot com. Dot com. Um, it's good to talk to you. Any any advice for the students out there that are graduating today? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I keep saying the word values, and um, I think that is the key thing. Um, having a good sense of thinking about the points in your life where you felt the most fulfilled. If it's 
If you stop to give someone directions on the street and you think about why, why did that feel good? Or if you uh, donate your time to causes that are important to you and you get that, you know, um, oxytocin boost, like why, why, why did that feel so good? And kind of digging into those points um, and getting those values that are portable then between whatever profession you choose, whatever relationships personally, or professionally you might invest in. Having that in your DNA, your professional uh, DNA, largely uh, from square one, oh my gosh, will that set you up for success as you're moving forward? And you can kind of suss out like which business might I join that is a great cultural uh, fit for me or will support me doing my best work. If you're kind of looking at a, a business's website um, and you see where you know About Us falls within the navigation and if you click on About Us, is it the actual people doing the work or is it the board or just like one person is the CEO on there? There are all these little tells along the way um, that give a sense of what this place is about without overtly saying it. And is it a place where I can hang my hat and uh, do my best work? So just uh, being very mindful, leveraging the tools that we use as, as designers and researchers, product folks uh, along the way, you know, being humble, you know, being students of our craft, leveraging that that same eye from design, if you will, as, as you're su sussing out the best place to work. I think that that is a great mindset to set yourself up for success. When you say they have like tells on their website, what's the biggest tell for a red flag? You got one of those? You, you see something, you see a wording, you're like, oh, that's no good. Well, yeah. If you like look at a jump post, it's like uh, uh, comfort with ambiguity or fast paced environment. There are these ways like when they have a job post up that are effectively saying like we don't have our shit together or, you know, the the, the we, we're not really sure what the role is about. You're going to have to wear 25 different hats huge red flags. And those that, you know, you'll see that sometimes in job postings, you'll see that in the language on the website. But, you know, if culture is not present on the website, or if it's the last thing, or like I said, if you click on the board, click on about us, and it's a picture, it's a picture of the the board, and it's a very homogenous uh, looking board. I think those are red flags uh, straight away about what these what this organization stands for and uh, the diversity of thought that would be lacking potentially in the, in the decisions that they make. No, that's good advice. So, all right, Justin, thanks a lot. Thank you, Donovan. Appreciate it as always. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Meary is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab. Thank you.